All right, who else wants a Bible? <laughs> Get them out. Get your Bibles out. Open up your Bible apps if you do not have a Bible to follow along. In, uh, just put your hand up, and our ushers are coming around. They have Bibles that you can take and use to follow along. And if you are receiving one of those Bibles and you do not currently have a Bible of your own, keep the one that you receive. And uh, parents of the kids that just received them, stay connected with them on that level. Um, let them know how valuable the Word of God is, how alive it is, how, uh, how much it can resource their lives throughout their whole lives. Um, just wanted to say a, a couple of words. Uh, first of all, just thank you for your prayers. I mentioned that my parents ended up in the hospital and uh, my mom is still in the hospital. Um, she has had three of four procedures and uh, the last one's coming up tomorrow to fix a valve in her heart. She had a heart attack and um, she is recovering beautifully. Uh, prayers are being answered. She is. Um, she told my dad uh, day before yesterday, I think it was, she feels better than she has since she can remember. Um, so that is a phenomenal answer to prayer. My dad had some neurological issues hit him. Some strange things were going on. Um, he is in contact with a neurologist and will be following up to, to figure out how he can navigate these waters as well. Um, and just just pray for strength for him. He's tired. Um, he's trying to take care of mom and uh, just bearing the, the weight of the world. So um, just keep praying. Thank you. And um, again, just a, a reminder that when, when we say there's an opportunity to share with us how we can be praying for you, uh, take us up on that opportunity. Uh, we love to, to pray for you and with you. And we do believe that God answers. Um, it's just an amazing thing. All right. This morning... We're going to look at the final passage in our study of the first five books of Acts. Uh, we have spent the last few months looking at the account of the formation of the church that Jesus established when he came. And we've highlighted the presence and the work of the Holy Spirit throughout that part of the Bible. It was a very significant characteristic of those five chapters. The Holy Spirit arrived during that time. God made himself known in new and powerful ways because he now lived in the hearts of his people through his Holy Spirit. The third person of the Holy Trinity of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so God took this gigantic step towards us by sending his spirit to live in us. This was a very, very loving thing for our God to do. He went from a God who spoke through prophets and supernatural occurrences to a God who came in the flesh and walked among us, that was Jesus, to a God who dwells in our lives now through his Holy Spirit. And I cannot imagine facing this world without the assurance that God is with me all the time, every second of every day, and he's as close as the air I breathe. He is right there with us. God is here in our lives to do all kinds of things. Through his Spirit, he guides us, comforts us. He's here to help us to strengthen us, to show us where our battles lie, to fight for us, to teach us truth, to connect us to our Father, to pray when we struggle to find the words, to open our eyes to what God sees, to continually sharpen and brighten the image of God in us and much, much more. This is the role of the Holy Spirit. And there has to be, I think, there has to be a shift in our perspective from seeing God as this invisible being that is out there somewhere to seeing him as truly being with us and in us and working through us. 
As the time of Jesus' return gets closer and closer, God is generously giving us a preview of his presence here with us through being here in the form of his spirit. And to me, honestly, this has to be one of the biggest battles that we fight. Satan doesn't want us to see and engage with the incredible power that the Holy Spirit brings to our lives. He doesn't. He wants to stop that. He wants to keep us isolated and relying on our own human strength, which is nowhere near powerful enough to face what we all face. He wants us to stay isolated from God. And he seems to be pretty effective at doing that. He wants us to stay weak. And that's the only way the enemy can continue to influence us for his own purposes. He wants us to fight on a human level by our own human strength. And that way he maintains authority in our lives. But what does Jesus say about us? Well, he says we are more than what? Conquerors. He promises that his strength is made perfect in our weakness. He encourages us not to be afraid, which is a byproduct of our weakness. Jesus knows what we're facing. He understands us. He faced what we face. He was tempted by the things that tempt us. The enemy took a shot at influencing him as well and failed. Even death failed. And that victory, that strength has been made available to us. That was Jesus' desire when he returned to his father. He left us his spirit. His strength came to us. And this series of messages from Acts has shown us that Jesus had no intention of leaving us alone to face this fallen world. Not at all. The power that he gave to his followers through his spirit is beyond amazing. It is beyond description. And today's story is even more evidence of that, of what he's done for us. So turn now to Acts chapter 5 and verse 17. Acts 5, 17. Last week, we looked at the account of the signs and wonders that were being done through the hands of Jesus' disciples, Peter and John and the rest. That was the Holy Spirit at work. God sent a very clear message It was a message that God heals, and while he may not heal every physical illness or disease that we face, he ultimately heals. God offers a life that's reflected in the healing that took place at that time, what we read about last week. God offers to remove the power of sickness and death and give us eternal life, his life. God was also bringing his credibility to the message of healing that the disciples were preaching He wanted the world to know that this message was from him. It wasn't from the disciples. They didn't create it. It was God's message delivered through them. The miracles helped ensure that many, many people would find hope in this message that they were hearing. God was moving. God was putting the next chapter of his plan in motion, and there were many more miracles in store for the world to witness. And today's story gives us another one of those miracles. Um, We're going to cover a lot of ground today. This is a long passage, and so we're going to read one section at a time of this story, and then we're going to break it down one section at a time. Um, Let's start with Acts chapter 5, verses 17 to 21, and here's what it says. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. 
And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now, people from in and around Jerusalem were being healed. Thousands were becoming followers of Jesus at this point. The power behind all of this was clearly God's power. He made that known. And the attention was being given to Peter and the other disciples, and this clearly didn't sit well with the leaders of the Sadducees. Okay, who were the Sadducees? Sadducees were a religio-political group who had a lot of power among the Jews at the time that this happened. They were a wealthy group of people who were intricately, intricately involved in life in the temple. They held positions in the temple like that of high priest, chief priest. They were the majority among the Sanhedrin, which was the religious ruling council of the time. It could be said of the Sadducees that they were more concerned with politics than they were religion. Well, they held to the authority of the Bible. They also contradicted the Bible on several points. They saw themselves as self-sufficient, even when it came to God's involvement in daily life. They denied the resurrection of the dead, which is what led to Peter and John being arrested back in Acts chapter 4. They denied the presence of the afterlife. They denied the existence of the spiritual realm. They struggled big time with Jesus and the words that he spoke. They had joined forces with the Pharisees to try to eliminate Jesus' influence. And they had worked to stop followers of Jesus as well. But as pressure built, including the destruction of the temple by the Romans in the year A.D. 70, the Sadducees ceased to exist, uh, which is ironic in light of today's story. So look for that. This surge in the church that we've been studying was more than they could bear. Their jealousy took over. They acted on that jealousy by arresting the apostles again for Peter and John, throwing them in prison to face the religious council the next day. But as we just saw, God had his own idea of how this was going to go down. He sent an angel during the night to open the door of the prison they were in, and the apostles walked out of the prison with the instruction to keep doing what they were doing. God was overruling the Sadducees. As we'll see in a bit, this was more than just an accidental escape. There were guards at this prison. God simply worked around the guards, or actually probably right in front of the guards. So it's actually the first of three times in the book of Acts that doors were miraculously opened for Jesus' followers. A powerful symbol. God sets prisoners free. He opens the doors. And a quick note regarding the words, speak to the people all the words of this life. The words of this life meant the message of salvation that's found in Jesus. So rather than go home and get some rest after a stressful night, the apostles returned to the temple at daybreak and returned to their preaching. God's authority prevailed here. Okay, on to verse 21, the second half of verse 21. Through verse 26, this is what that says. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, 
They were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. Okay. The Sadducees sounded the alarm about what the disciples continued to do, and they called together all the big religious influencers, like the high priest, the religious council, the senate, the elders. That meant that the Pharisees were also now present. So who were the Pharisees? Okay, the Pharisees were another influential religious group among the Jews at this time. The Pharisees were a minority in the religious council, but they carried a lot of weight. They were heavily supported by the Jewish people. The Pharisees were the the set-apart group. They worked tirelessly to observe every written law and some spoken laws as well, additional laws beyond what was in the Bible. Now, that's not cool. We're not to add to God's word. That was a mistake. They were different than the Sadducees. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection of the dead. They believed in the afterlife. They believed in the spiritual realm. But they joined forces against Jesus. They were also criticized by Jesus for not practicing what they preached. So this army of religious authorities gathers to confront the disciples. Crazy scene. How shocking it must have been for them to learn that the disciples were not in the prison where they had been locked up. And how stressed out do you think the captain of the guard was when he discovered the empty prison? Well, he's clearly thinking about what's going to happen to him if all of this gets pinned on him. And so he goes himself with some officers and they bring the disciples back to stand before this council and answer for their actions. And they didn't do this by force. Because the disciples were just standing out on the porch again, preaching, doing what they did every day, which brings us to the next part of the story. So verses 27 to 32. And when they had brought them, when they brought the disciples, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. So having come with the religious authorities, willingly and peacefully, the disciples now stood before the council and the questioning began. Why are you defying us? We told you to stop. And look at how detached the high priest is from the truth. He says, you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. This man. That's how little regard they had for Jesus. A sad and dangerous place for them to be. Peter, the spokesperson for the whole group of Jesus' followers, responds with great boldness. And he started this response on a perfect note. Remember that Peter was being guided by the Holy Spirit in this. And so right off the bat, he addresses the issue of authority. We must obey God rather than 
man. Peter did not say that they defied the religious authorities as a statement that they will not be controlled. He simply turns the attention to God. And we know that God has been very, very gracious to Peter. The least he could do was give God the position of ultimate authority in his life. God had proven to Peter and to to the others that he was truly, ultimately, the authority in charge. God backed up his authority with miracles and power beyond anything that anyone could have imagined. And church, God still does this. He still backs up his authority. Think about how this practically applies to your own life. Ask yourself this question. Is God my ultimate authority? Is God my ultimate authority? If God, having proven his presence and power in my life, asked me to do something as risky as what Peter was doing here, would I do it? The Bible speaks directly to this. Proverbs 29, 25 says, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Hebrews 13, 6 says, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Are we there in our thinking and our decision making? Does God have ultimate authority in our lives? This is a significant battle for us. We are tempted to fear people and take our chances disobeying God. Doesn't that sound kind of dumb? But I know I'm guilty of this myself. All the while, God proves to me in so many ways that he is the ultimate authority and his authority can never, ever be challenged. I think Peter got some confidence from just having been part of an incredible series of of miracles, most recently their escape from prison the night before. I could see that experience giving me confidence. My challenge is finding the faith to believe that Peter's miracle deliverance is just as real to me as it was to him. I need to ask for the faith to believe that every miracle Every demonstration of power that I see in the Bible is enough evidence for me to know that God is my ultimate authority. Add to that all the miracles that God has done to redeem my life. And what exactly is it then that's holding me back from the kind of confidence that I should live in every moment of every day? Well, as I've said, the enemy doesn't want me to have that kind of confidence, and so he works me over, and he works you over. And I know this is on me. I lose sight of God's power, and as a result, I lose sight of God's authority. I get stuck looking at me, and I don't get a lot of confidence from what I see then. Can anybody else relate to that? Like Peter said, we're witnesses to what Jesus did. We're witnesses to the power and authority of God on display in the Bible and in our own lives. 
And we have the other witness, the Holy Spirit, living in us to bring this truth to mind all the time. What exactly are we missing? We know this is true. God is the ultimate authority. We've got to keep that in front of us at all times. All right, let's finish our story. Verses 33 to 42. When they heard this, they, being the Jews, were the religious leaders, were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up, and I'm going to just give myself an excuse here. Um, I'm, I'm going to slaughter the pronunciation of names. It's because my mind sees that and says Theodos. Um, that's not actually the right pronunciation. These names are really messed up. Um, <laughs> it's... Thudas is the way to say this name, apparently, but my brain can't do that, so we're sticking with Theodos. Rose up, he rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean, and that's pronounced wrong, by the way, sorry, The Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. Remember what I said about the Sadducees coming to nothing? So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone, for if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ, the Christ is Jesus. Okay, so obviously this was not the speech that the religious leaders wanted to hear. Those who claimed to represent God were not happy listening to the accusations and claims of someone else that wasn't them, and that they're claiming that they're following God's authority. They were faced with the reality of Jesus. Words about the long-awaited Messiah were coming from someone else in such a way that they knew they were being condemned. I can't imagine the rage in this room. But here comes a Pharisee who was very well-known and very highly respected. He was a teacher of the law named Gamaliel, and he had some wise words of counsel for the rest. They needed to take a beat and chill. They were about to make a huge mistake. So Gamaliel reminds them that there have been others who made big claims and nothing became of them. He counseled them that things would turn out the same for Jesus and his followers. Either nothing would come of this or 
If something did come of this, they'd better be careful that they weren't mistaken about this being from God. He obviously was aware of the miracles, all the evidence that this was indeed from God. They wouldn't win if this was from God, is what he's telling them. Now, shockingly to me, the council took his advice. I'm honestly surprised by this decision, but I believe that God was in the whole thing. And so to make themselves feel better, I guess, they beat the disciples anyway. Probably for disobeying them and probably by giving each of them the traditional 40 lashes minus one. The disciples got beat up pretty badly. Peter and the rest left rejoicing. Yeah, rejoicing. Bleeding badly in tremendous pain and rejoicing. Like Jesus, they had endured suffering. Like Jesus, they had endured that suffering for the sake of what lay before them. And what lay before them was the mission of Jesus Christ. The message of grace and hope that Jesus brought cost him a great deal of suffering, but Jesus knew who had ultimate authority. It was his father. And now Jesus' followers knew the same thing under God's authority and in obedience to his calling. They had now joined Jesus in suffering for that calling. So what did they do? They went right back to preaching in the temple. And they preached in their homes. And the church continued to grow and flourish under God's authority. Was that the end of the persecution? Uh, Not even close. It got worse from there to the point where every one of the disciples, every one of Jesus' disciples was martyred for his faith. Except for John, might as well have been martyred. He was on an island by himself in prison there. But every one of them and so many more suffered knowing that God had ultimate authority. And even in this fallen world, he would continue to bring hope and healing through the message of Jesus Christ. There would never be a worthier cause to suffer for. Never. While temporarily living behind enemy lines while Satan is still the temporary ruler of this world, followers of Jesus would carry on the ministry of Jesus, knowing that they were safe in God's hands, in the hands of the ultimate authority, knowing that those who tried to stop them had no authority over their spirits, over their eternity. Only God would hold that authority And they would willingly follow Jesus under God's authority for the sake of God's creation receiving his message of hope. And church, that's how I became a follower of Jesus. Saved and adopted into God's family. And that's how you became a follower of Jesus. So what about the next generation? What about this generation? Under God's authority and his authority alone, powered by God's spirit, God's church, you and I are well positioned 
to carry on what Jesus started. And the question then remains, will we? Will we carry on what Jesus started, the very thing that brought you and I into the kingdom, into God's eternal family, saved and forgiven? Will we? Let's pray together. And in the quietness of this moment, with your heads bowed in honor and respect and your eyes closed, focus on the Lord. Just say to him, God, you are the ultimate authority. God, you are my ultimate authority. Father, we do acknowledge that together this morning, that there's you far above all. You alone sit on the throne. You alone are King of kings and Lord of lords. You alone are the creator of all that we see before us, including ourselves. Our lives belong to you. God, we thank you this morning that while we do live in a kingdom that is temporarily ruled by somebody else, that somebody has very limited authority. And that one day very soon, your son will return and crush that temporary ruler's head. not only will we live for all of eternity under your authority we will live face to face with you in the presence of your love in the presence of your people your kingdom in your restored creation in all its beauty God I ask that you would become in our lives the authority to the point where we fully understand and we fully embrace the fact that because we belong to you, we need to be about what you're about. We need to follow your mission. We need to follow your calling and join Jesus. Join his disciples, join his followers throughout history carrying on the mission that you established with Jesus Christ, your son. What an opportunity we have before us. A world in chaos, a world that is hurting, disillusioned, lost, lonely, crushed. A world that is desperately in need of the message of hope and love and healing that comes with Jesus Christ. God, remind us that all of those people, those that don't know you yet, were created by you in your image and you love them unconditionally. Help us to see that that's where the mission begins. 
we love because you first loved us. We shine because you shine in us. Thank you for calling us into this. Thank you for the time that we've spent in these chapters in the book of Acts for how you've shown us the presence and power of your Holy Spirit. God, I ask that the end result of this time that we've had together with this study will be an increasing awareness and acknowledgement of your presence in our lives. That we will know you're here. That we will know that that power you demonstrated then is still available. It's available to us every moment of every day. That we will live in that power, dependent on that power, operating by that power. Thank you for that loving step of coming close to us, so close that you're in us and you work through us. Thanks for caring that much about us. We love you, we praise you, we lift you up on high and acknowledge that you are the ultimate authority and then there is none other that compares to you. God, make that a reality in our lives every moment of every day. Thank you for teaching us, for guiding us, for giving us your spirit. We pray all this in Jesus' name.